Welcome to our next installment of the Rebels of the Heart virtual conference series, which has been an ongoing segment where we featured great leaders across all different areas of business, different companies, really showing the next generation of leadership and what leadership with a heart looks like in terms of rebels breaking the rules, creating new rules, and, and establishing what a healthy business and personal relationship can look like. I'm Derek Bunston, CEO of Life Guides, uh, and we're building a platform in which caring people to do extraordinary good by using technology to match people who have been through a life challenge of some sort, with those who are going through the same or a very similar experience now provide peer-to-peer mentorship support and guidance to help people be happier, healthier, and more productive in both their work life and home life and where those come together. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Rebels with the Heart. Ben Frazier, it's great to have you here, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Derek. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. We've had a chance to get to know each other a little bit over the last month after meeting at Sherm Visionaries. And obviously you're doing some great work in the space of people leadership and learn a little bit of your story. And I was just looking forward to highlighting you and and what you're doing here on on Rebels. So welcome to the community officially. Uh, I think I'll say to you or ask you off the bat, we talked a little bit about this before, but what does Rebels with a Heart mean to you? What is that? And is that, especially in the context of your most recent life experiences, how does that? Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a really good question, Derek. Um, you know, when I think of a rebel, I think of someone who is causing uh, kind, respectful, uh, but good disruption, disruption that needs to be felt and innovation that needs to be brought forward thinking that needs to be had. And you, 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 in the context of rebel with hearts, you're, you're doing it in a way that advances the, the, the people strategies and how we look at us as human beings as we try to work and, and navigate life with each other and in that kind and respectful area. So I thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about going against the grain and rethinking how we do stuff. Absolutely. So we're going to, we're going to talk a bit about going against the grain and redoing stuff and reinventing things in the context of people, leadership, and HR, but tell us a little bit about your story. Tell, tell us about how this applies to your journey as a, as a human being, as a leader, kind of how you got to where you are in your career and in your life. It's a long story. I'll try to summarize this in yeah. a way that you know it makes meaningful sense to folks listening today. Um, <clears throat> I started in the finance sector. I have a bachelor's in business finance and then went on to get my MBA with an emphasis in healthcare administration. And that was an exciting journey as I started my HR uh, life in, in benefits and grew up in benefits and then, then moved on to employee relations, HR business partners, talent acquisition, yeah. you know, the whole HR function where I get my most enjoyment is in the strategy side, working with our executive team and advancing the the people strategy as it aligns with the business side of the house. But really what resonates for me, why I choose healthcare, why I um, continue moving forward in my life the way I am. My wife and I, we, we have six children, two of which uh, are adopted out of the foster system as babies. They're not related, but um, you know, have had an opportunity for our children and ourselves to serve our community in a way that really is impactful to give back to the community in, the, in such the, a rich way that has been given to us. And we appreciate that. Another, 
Another piece that really resonates with me is I'm part of the No One Dies Alone program uh, at, at my organization, which means when a patient is close to passing away and they can't find family or family can't come, whatever the situation is, uh, I'm part of a special team where you might get a phone call that says, come sit with this patient while they pass. And so that's been a very meaningful experience as I've as I've sat with patients who have passed to the other side and have held their hand and talked to them. And um, there are certainly heartbreaking situations, but life-changing. And that continues to just be very meaningful in my life. Thank you for sharing that, Ben. So I, mean, I actually want to explore that a little bit more. So first of all, I think to your comment earlier, healthcare is very ripe for disruption and for rebellious but heartful activities. I think there's a lot we can dig in on that. Um, I'll make a provocative statement. We'll come back to that in a little bit, which is HR, at least pre-pandemic, had not historically been known for being rebellious, right? HR is oftentimes, you know, uh, reputationally known as being the enforcers of rules and policies. So I'm interested to hear how you are bucking the trend personally and how you're moving slower. But but before we do that, I, I'm actually really interested to explore again a bit about this work because this is a really unique. This is something that's never come up before. Like how how did you end up? working in the No One Dies Alone program. What was the inspiration for that? And I would love to hear some of the experiences that you've shared with people during that, that transition, because that's, really, that's a really different type of work. Yeah, it is. And it's a way that I think human resources can provide value in the business itself. I think a lot of people think HR is just about employees and enforcement, as you've mentioned. But we I think as an HR professional, you have to spend at least half your time in the business as you do in the function itself. But how how I came about joining a program like that was really inspired by my brother, Robert, who passed away when he was 18 years old in a car accident. Mm. And and I remember, um, and I was in that car with him. And and I remember okay. when, um, when he passed away and I watched him pass away. And, and as he... Um, you know, he was my best friend. We shared a bedroom our entire lives. And I remember going home from the hospital after that, thinking about how those doctors and physicians cared for me, how those nurses cared for me, cared for my brother. And it was a, it was a very life-changing moment as a 17-year-old young man yeah. to now have a significant life choice in front of me about which direction my life was truly going to go. Yeah. And and I've dedicated my life to living it in a way that would please my brother, please my family, please my community, and help those around me become better people. Wow, that's that's I can only imagine the impact that's had. And so when you look at the experience with Robert and you look at the experience with others that you've sat with and transitioned, is there is there a certain essence or are there certain experiences that are common? I mean, obviously, you know the work we're doing at Life Guides, and so this is a really interesting kind of, again, it's a very unique, unexpected topic, which is part of the thought of who chose, right? So Yeah, it is. Well, I'm not sure that there's anything common mm. between each experience. I mean, sure, there's maybe common denominators, you know, as someone passes away, but I sound when I walk into a room where a patient is about to pass, I introduce myself, even if they can't hear me, they may yeah. not know what's going on. I sit down, I let, you know, I'll, I'll hold their hand and I'll let them know that we're, I'm here, that they're not alone and we're going to go through this, you know, in a sense together. 
Yeah. And, and there, there are some situations where, um, they are aware and there are some where they're not. And there's, it's, it's very unique and different. It just is unique and different as someone being born is. And I've seen four of my, you know, children born into the world. Each situation is different. And I think, I think it's unique too when, when someone passes. And so it's a very humbling experience. It's one that enriches my life and gives me perspective. And, and, uh, it's, it's something to be reverenced. And I, I think it's a kind of a sacred moment, if you will. Yeah, it absolutely is. And to that point, does it, is it something that it invokes in you every time it's the same or is it different with each person? Like, is the experience for you different based on that person? Well, it certainly increases my, my faith. It increases uh, my awareness of myself and it reprioritizes my life. Here's an example. I remember one morning back earlier this year, it was a Monday morning going into the office, super busy. I'd woke up at 4.30 that morning and I was writing down all my priorities I needed to get done that day. And as I had jotted down and prioritized everything, I go into the office and I've got meetings that are back to back. It's, it's going to be a crazy day. And at 8 a.m., I get a phone call that we have a patient that's going to be passing away. And they asked me to come over to the emergency department to sit with that patient. And I didn't have the time. I had no time for this particular event, but I knew I had to be there. So I cleared my plate, cleared my, cleared my docket, and I went and sat with this patient. And this particular patient was female. She was, you know, between, I don't know, maybe 70 years old or so. And I sat with her until she passed away. And that was probably three to four hours. And as soon as that event was done, you know, and the doctors and the nurses came in and began shutting down equipment and everything, I said goodbye to her. Um, And then I had to pivot head right back to my office, jump right back into meetings, right back into action items, no time to spare. And what was interesting, that day started at 4.30 a.m. at my kitchen table with my list of priorities. I finally got back to the kitchen table at 9.30 p.m. that night, and I was looking at that list. And what I found was interesting is what I thought was important that I had to get done that day wasn't actually what needed to be done. And it reprioritized my life. And so as I've, as I've been through these experience many times, every time it's a, it's a different and refreshing um, experience that renews my, my faith in humanity. It renews my, my, my vigorousness to want to live um, and live life to the fullest. Wow. That, I wrote that down, but actually needed to be done, right? That's an important statement, I feel, and, and something that so oftentimes we lose focus on, you know, we're going to your point, going through the activities rather than being intentional and aware of what's being kind of asked of us, for lack of a better term, to your point around around faith. Um, was this something that you were doing? As I know you were working, you've been working in the healthcare space. Obviously, that's the industry. Were you was your organization providing this service during the pandemic? Was it suspended yes. during the pandemic? Uh, yeah, I was curious because I think we heard a lot of there's a lot of stories about people who have, in fact passed alone. And so I'm just curious because we don't, is that that a program that was being done in other hospitals and other programs, you know, systems and, you know, love your thoughts. Yeah. I, I, I think the concept of a program called no one dies alone is not unique to my organization or to healthcare. 
But I, you know, it is something that we did have during the pandemic. And I sat with a patient who passed away from COVID after being taken off a ventilator when he passed away. And and he was a younger gentleman and his family couldn't be there. Uh, I'm not not sure why. And, you know, that's, you know, not not the the biggest, you know, concern. But um, in my mind, it's just making sure that they're they're not alone. And especially during the pandemic, when visitors were limited, right. you know, people might have been sick and couldn't be there. There's all myriad of reasons why someone might be not be able to be with family when, when someone passes, but it's really critical that they not be alone. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And so coming back to full circle, when you, when you think about just the contrast of how death shows you the, the preciousness of life, how are, how are you showing up in your life you know, just continually now as you, as you redefine what's next in your career and your progression. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, no, that's, it's another good topic. Um, earlier this year, I was diagnosed with stage three kidney cancer and as a 40 year old male with no chronic conditions, not on any medications, that was a, a, a shocking diagnosis to hear. Yeah. And and to be really close to stage four and not know that it was even in my body, it was a total fluke. We even discovered it. And as I took a step back at that moment, I remember my wife driving me home from the hospital after that diagnosis. And we didn't know at that point, you know, had the cancer spread, how far yeah. was it, you know, what next steps worse. There was a lot of ambiguity and we have six children and and I'm the yeah. sole provider. And so all of these things are racing through my mind about, about my life. How did I live it? And, and I know that sounds really maybe extreme or um, maybe even uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for, um, you know, dramatized. That's it. And but you have all these questions and you don't know. And, and so as I was going home, there was two things that really came to my mind. The first was, wow, I am so proud of my family, my children, my wife, and what we've been able to build together and that they're in good hands, that they're financially taken care of, that you know their intellectual, spiritual, and physical needs are met. And I knew my wife would be fine. But the part that I think bothered me the most the the second part of this was the the time I had spent in the office focusing on things that really hadn't moved the needle professionally or for um, you know that really made a meaningful difference for employees in my organization and it, it wasn't for a lack of effort it wasn't for a lack of trying it wasn't for a lack of wanting to do the right thing all of those pieces were in place. Um, but with these experiences of Robert, no one dies alone and being diagnosed with cancer, I, I feel like there's just this teaching moment that continues yeah. to resurface in my life of recentering and making sure I'm focused on my true North. And that was yeah. a point in my life that, that redirected my attention to where I think next steps and, you know, that, that I need to go strategically with my career. Yeah, so I'm going to ask the question directly because now this has come, even in the last five minutes, it's come up twice. The work that actually needed to be done versus what you thought needed to be done. And then in high, and then when you have a moment of your own mortality, what really matters, right? And so yeah. as you're now defining this, what 
what is really mattering to you? What is your North Star? How are you showing up as a quote-unquote rebel with a heart? Or how are you starting to define that maybe? Because I know that's, that's a, maybe you may not have clarity on that, but what's where are you moving in that direction? Yeah, well, it's interesting because there's two components of my life that, yeah. um, that are really important to me and they have strong overlap. And you can't have one without the other. Right. And, and so they're completely interconnected, but yet they're also distinctly separate. And the first is my family mm-hmm. and, and my dedication to my wife, Shauna, and to our children and in our faith. And, and those, in my mind, are, are completely inseparable and, you know, in, in a way, they're my motivation. In fact, I have this policy called Fraser Family First. And whenever I'm making a decision or something that's really important, I think of how is that going to impact my family and does that move us forward toward our goals, you know, to raise our children to be good community citizens and professionals. And then the second part of this equation is my career and the trajectory that it takes me because I can't provide for my family if I don't take care of my employer. And if I'm not taking care of my employer, then I can't take care of my family. And so you got to have this right balance between the two to make sure that you're moving forward to your own true north. And my true north as an individual is being a good father, being a good husband, and being a good provider and taking care of that, which matters most. Because I think at the end of the day, it really isn't about what title you held professionally or how much money you made or how nice your house was or how great your car was. It was how you treated people. And that is how I think you'd be a rebel with a heart. Beautiful. Well said. And I, I personally resonate with this having been, as a father myself and as a businessman and, and developing this and, and someone who aspires to make a big impact in the world, right? So that's we share that. I'm curious. I, I personally asked this question, and I continue to do it. How do you how do you look at your time? And maybe a better question would be, how do you balance quantity and quality of time and experiences between your work and your family? That's I think really part of what my personal process has been around this is when you look at your calendar and you look at <laughs> you spend we spend so much of our time working, right? That just seems yeah. to like at least I, I, I personally do, right? And and we and I find I focused quality time in experiences with Aaron, my wife, and our children, and others in our family. But it's it's definitely a if you look at just pure volume that out of alignment, if you will, right? So yeah. how do you personally recalibrate that? And did your experience of of, of looking at your mortality very directly change anything for you in how you calibrate that equation? Yeah. So there's a lot baked into that question. Well, first I would say there's no uh, magical answer to the balance and your children and your spouse and those relationships are all very fluid and needs are changing all the time. So in my mind, you have to be currently, you have to be assessing it live and actively, if not on a daily basis and on a weekly basis. So every week, I carve out about one hour to take a look at how am I spending my time? How is my relationship with my children? Have I invested appropriately? Um, How is my relationship with my wife? And so I have one hour of time every week where I check in and say, here's how I spent my week. Did it hit the mark? And what are my goals going to be the next week? And so I actually have a strategy that I have annually that looks at what is my mission? 
What are my coherent action steps? And what are the things that are getting in the way of me accomplishing those things? And then having that equilibrium. And then the other thing I would say, Derek, is um, this year I turned 40. And so I had this list of 40 things I wanted to do in the year I turned 40. And on that list was like 40 dates with my wife. Wow. And another one was four getaways with my wife with no children, just her and I to get away, to go somewhere where we could invest in our marriage and in our relationship and build that, that capital that needs to be there. And so you have to be deliberate, you have to be purposeful, you have to have a goal, and you have to have time to calibrate it. And I think if you're spending that time being introspective and reflective, you're, you're going to hit it just fine. Thank you. I think it's really sad. And so that's an, a, an excellent process. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I do some of that, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to apply it further than what you just shared. How, how is that also translated into your work environment? How are you doing things differently in that context? And how are you imagining doing things differently as you kind of work towards that North Star and blending? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so in my mind, you always have, I always try to have about a 10 year outlook. Where are things going to be in 10 years? Professionally, personally, where are my children going to be in 10 years? Where's my marriage going to be in 10 years? Where's HR going to be in 10 years? Where's healthcare going to be in 10 years? And you always have to have this mindset of essentially looking over the rainbow, anticipating what change is going to happen. And if you're not anticipating what change is going to happen, what do you want to see happen? Where do you want to be in 10 yeah. years? How does this need to be? Because I actually like to be a pace setter. And my leadership style is to set the pace. And it's a combination of pace setting and coaching. And so I'm not a micromanager. I'm not someone that's going to be giving orders. That's not it. It's where does this individual want to grow as a person and professionally and have a development plan that gets them where they want to go? And then also setting the pace and mirroring and matching that people alignment to the business objectives. And so yeah. working with your, your executive team, where are we going in 10 years? Who are the market disruptors? Where are they trying to take the market? Yeah. How do we need to react and how do we need to proactively be in front of them? And so I don't think you can have one without the other. It's that tricky, careful yeah. balance of all of that together. I think that's an excellent exercise. And that's something that I think is not, because I personally don't do it enough, really think through intentionally 10 years out in these different lenses. So when you, you look on the focus again on the back to the rebels in the, in the work environment, when you look at HR, when you look at people, leadership and management, when you look at the healthcare industry, how are you setting yourself up in the coming decade as a quote unquote disruptor, as a rebel, as a leader? What are you What are you seeing right now? How are you moving toward that? What are you leading? What's What are you? Yeah, where do you, Where are you going with this? Well, so I spend a lot of time, and Derek, you know, we we both had the yeah. opportunity to attend the Sherm Visionary Conference. Spending time with leaders from some of the largest organizations in the country getting on the phone with the CHROs and the key business leaders that are driving the innovation and the change. It's going to the conferences that you're, you're, where you're hearing about where other business leaders are, are seeing their industries and where their growth opportunities are. And, and so first, I think you have to be really aware of your competition, where they're going and then also baking into your own mindset, where do you want to go? Where do you want to take your organization? What are they doing that you're not doing? 
And I've had wonderful opportunities. I won't name them on this call, but many very large Fortune 100 companies where I've been talking to them, speaking with them, understanding their direction. And ironically, they're very willing to share and give insights. And so as I've taken in that information, I look at the market disruptors in healthcare and in human resources, and I have a strategic plan about where I want to go in my career, the companies I'm looking at that I want to join, the companies that have a strategic vision that are market disruptors. I find that very exciting. And and I'm excited about the future. I have a lot of hope in humanity. I know that we as a country have... A lot of things we're all dealing with on a variety of levels, whether it's the economy, social dynamics, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and all of these can come together. And I have a lot of uh, hope and, um, and, and action steps that are going into building better communities and building a better family. Beautiful. So with that is a very good tee up. What is, it's hard to believe our time has flown by so quickly. What would your piece of advice be? In that context of hope, as a context of a, of a rebel leader, of an HR leader, of a people leader, what would you leave our community with in that context of what they should be doing themselves? Yeah. Well, so forward? what I would do is if I was a young professional trying to find your way or an advanced professional um, looking to advance skill sets or looking to develop a, a learning mindset is find a good mentor. Find good leaders that can can take you under their wing and guide you and help you. And, and if you've been so fortunate to have those mentors and guides to help you, to turn around and give that back to those leaders that are up and coming and to help them advance our craft and our profession to the next level by investing in the next, in the leadership that's coming with us and behind us so that they can move in front of us in a proactive way. And so you get what you give. And I love to inject positivity into that spin cycle because I know what goes around comes around. And the more I give of myself and the more I give of our family and our resources, it comes back to me in so many ways. And and so find that person that needs help and help them be willing to give and invest in your community. And, and that's what I would leave, you know, the, you know, individuals listening to the, to this podcast today. Well, Ben, I'm very grateful uh, to have a friend like you. I'm grateful that there's a leader like you out in the, in the, in the marketplace that you're, that you're out there doing this work. I think your actions speak volumes of how you show up. And I'm grateful that you're doing that. Thank you for joining us and blessing the audience with your words, wisdom, with, with your wisdom and your heart today. And for the listeners, how can they connect with you? How can they learn more about you? Any, anything you'd like to share in that regard? Yeah, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Ben Frazier. Also feel free to email me, benfrazier at outlook.com. I'd love to hear from you. Reach out. And if you need help, I'll gladly provide whatever resources and connect you with whoever in my network would be valuable to you. Amazing. Ben, thank you again. And thank you to all of you for joining us today with Rebels with the Heart. Thanks. <laughs>